You know those times in your life where you say, I just can't catch a break. You know those times? Some of you are like, oh, I'm in that time right now. Right? I can't catch a break. We've all said it. It's like, or you're like, one thing after the next. It seems like one thing after the other. We all have those seasons, right? Where uh, it's always something that's common. And um, people will say to us, you know, we have niceties in our culture. So people say, hey, how's it going? How are you? And we'll say, good, good, good. Good, good, good. Yes, pretty good. And things aren't good. But we understand why we say good. Because obviously, can you imagine the gridlock in this city? If everybody actually answered that question? Because at any given point, nobody's life is good at all. And if, and if in Kitchener-Waterloo, during the course of the day, when somebody said, hey, how, how are you? You actually answered the question, the city would just be in gridlock. There, nobody would be moving anywhere, as we all shared. about how We can't catch a break, because we have those seasons. Some of you are in it now. Some of you just came out of one. Right? Some of you are saying, thank God that that, that season is over. And uh, some of us who are, are maybe not in that now, uh, we may be knowing because we've lived long enough that the, the next one's coming. It's a paradox called life. Nobody has a trouble-free life. This is the, the, this is the dilemma um, of what it means to be human. And that's why if you have people who are always, you know, kind of the perma-smile and everything is always good all the time. And, and I don't mean people you don't know because it makes sense that people that we don't know just say, when you say, how are you, they say good. That makes sense. But if there's someone who's close in your life, a family member, a friend that you've known for a decade, and if every time you talk to them, the answers that they give you is like, you know, sounds like the anthem from the Lego movie, you know, everything is just awesome. Uh, you're like, I can't relate to you. I can't be close to you. I don't know how to even connect with you because nobody's life is always awesome. And, uh, you know, we know that this, we know that th- this is how it is because uh, we've all experienced not being able to catch a break. We've all experienced... The day of trouble, which is our text for this morning, Psalm chapter 20. Psalm chapter 20 is a psalm where it starts out where David is crying out, uh, inviting the worshipers to cry out that God would answer them in the day of trouble. We can relate to this, of course, because all of us know what it is to have day of trouble. Psalm chapter 20, starting in verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your requests. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. This is God's word. You know, it is so tempting when we come across passages like that to think that the passage is about us. Because at the first glance, at the first reading, it really, really seems like it's about us. And especially when we are reading it and there's certain lines in the lyric that jump out to us, like, 
grant you your heart's desire. Fulfill all your plans. We hear that, we read that, and we think, now this is the Bible that I want. This is a passage I can get behind. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I think I found my life verse, right? Fantastic bumper sticker theology. We just get, latch onto verses like that. They just grab our eyes, they captivate us. We say, yes, this is exactly what this is saying. Um, but <laughs> I mean, in the words of Carly Simon, you're so vain. You probably think this psalm is about you. It's not about you. It has glorious implications for you. But like all scripture, it's not about you. It's actually about God's love for you in Christ. It's actually a psalm about Christ. All the psalms are about Christ. He said that on Luke 24, on the Emmaus Road, walking after his resurrection with the disciples. He, the scripture says in Luke 24, he looked back, he pointed to all the prophets and the psalms and the law of Moses, and he said, all of it is pertaining to me. Which means, the proper way for us to interpret this verse is that we can't begin with, what does it mean to me? We have to begin with, what does it mean And when we begin with what does it mean, then we see the glorious and rich implications for what it actually does mean to me. So that's how we're going to approach this and look at it. Verse 1, it says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. What trouble? Uh, This psalm was written about 1036 BC, and David was going to war with the Syrians and the Ammonites and ancient people groups that worshipped this God uh, that demanded child sacrifices, the God of Moloch. So this is a serious day of trouble, because he's going to war. So that's what. So what's the context of the psalm? It's it's a literal battle, and uh, and that's the day of trouble that he's dealing with. Then it says, "May the name of the God of Jacob protect you." Saying the name of the God of Jacob is a way of saying, "Remember the God a thousand years ago who was faithful to Jacob. He's the same God that's faithful today. He's got a track record of a millennia of being faithful." So you need to remember that in your day of trouble. You need to remember the God that you're coming to, not some indifferent God that spun the cosmos into existence and then he backed off and he's just kind of watching it play out and he's transcendent over the universe, but he's not eminent in your life. That's not the God of the Bible. So by saying the God of Jacob, it's a way of saying this is a covenant-keeping, loving God. And he's got a long track record of being very good and very faithful. So that's why the the text uh, gives that to us. It's a way of saying... The God of Jacob was 2006 B.C. This psalm was written around 1036 B.C. So it's a way of saying God's going to add you to his list of people that he saved in faithfulness. Because he is faithful. Because he's that good. Because he's that able in the midst of your trouble. This is the God that you're praying to. So that's how it begins. So Psalm 20 is actually a prayer that God would deliver the king. David wrote this because he's going to battle. And now the worshipers are singing, Oh God, would you deliver the king? And so that helps us get the context for how delivering the king out of the day of trouble. Kids, if you look at your notes, here's what it says. Psalm 20 is a prayer that God would deliver the king out of his day of trouble. The immediate context is God's faithfulness to deliver King David from his trouble. The ultimate context is that God's faithfulness was to deliver King Jesus from his trouble. Which is why this passage is good news for us and our trouble. We serve a God who's got a long history of being very, very faithful. And the day of trouble is not a 24-hour period. The day. Right? Those of you who said, I can't catch a break. You know it wasn't a 24-hour period. The day of trouble is, is, is never a 24-hour period. Wars are not 24-hour periods, and that's where David's going in here. We wish that all our trouble was like the 24-hour flu. 
And we kind of approach God in prayer like we wish the Day of Trouble was a 24-hour flu. Have you ever had a 24-hour flu? Last uh, summer, I was coaching baseball, and I was coaching third base, and all of a sudden, it, it hit me. And you've had that, some of you have had that, where you get hit with the flu. I, it actually hit me so strongly that I felt this piercing pain like somebody stabbed me with a knife. I went down on one knee. I started sweating profusely in a matter of seconds. The parents are like, Paul, are you okay? I just waved one of the parents over. One of the parents comes over to third base. I hobble off into the bushes trying to make myself vomit to alleviate this pain. I'm sweating like crazy. I have to leave the game. Susan's driving me home. I'm like, pull over. We're not going to make it. She pulls over down the street here on university. I get down on the grass. I make an utter mess of the grass as I'm on the side of the road. This car pulls over. Sir, are you okay? I'm like, and you know what it's like when you're vomiting you're like get away from me don't look at me and I'm on the side of the road like no Albie I just want to die right here on the Sun University here lies Paul Dunk right you've had that feeling I'm emptying myself another second car pulls over a second good Samaritan sir are you okay get away so he drives away and these two young university girls start walking by. They don't ask me if I'm okay. They're like pulling their phones out like I am Instagramming this. This dude is drunk in the middle of the day. I can't believe it. It was just it was horrifying. But then, 24, but then 24 hours later, I took a shower and I moved on with my life. I mean, I felt fantastic. It was like it never happened. That's the kind of trouble you and I want. And that's the kind of answers in prayer that you and I want. Oh God, deliver me in the day of trouble, answer me in the day of trouble. It's not a 24-hour flu. And you know this, I'm preaching to the choir because all of you have been through things or you are in things right now. You've been wrestling and battling for a very long time. And the good news for you in the gospel is that God is a specialist in coming and meeting us in our day of trouble. He's got a long track record of doing this. And so in verse 2 it says, uh, you know, may he send you help from the sanctuary. King David needed help from heaven's sanctuary to go to war. And King Jesus got help from heaven's sanctuary in the Garden of Gethsemane when the angels literally visited him as he went to war on the cross. The faithfulness of God manifest in in our King Jesus who was delivered from his war, ultimately. Verse 3 says, May you remember the sacrifice. May you remember your sacrifice and look on you with favor. Well, who's the your? Who is it? Is it you and I making sacrifices in our life? Oh, I know what I need to do. I know how to get out of the day of trouble. I'll just make a bunch of sacrifices and God will look on them and uh, he'll treat me with favor. Look, this is just basic English. When we look at the construction of the verse, the your is not you and me. It's the king. It's not, it's not you and I running out and pulling spiritual levers and pushing spiritual buttons of sacrifice so that God looks on us favorably. It's the king's sacrifice. That the worshipers are saying, remember the king's sacrifice. Good news for you in the gospel. Your king made the ultimate sacrifice. And your God is looking on the ultimate sacrifice of your king. And because you are united to him, he is looking on you favorably. To be faithfully to you, to encourage you, to nourish you, to be with you, to strengthen you. To be the lifter of your head in the day of trouble that seems like it's just never ending. Seems like it's not going away. And then when you get to verses 4 and 5, these are the verses that catch our eye, right? These are the verses that the Westerners pluck out and say, I've got to make a bumper sticker theology out of this. Because it says, the, the verses say, may he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. And we go, yeah! The Disneyfication of, of the Bible. That's what I am about. Fulfill my desires and, and fulfill my plans. But whose desires are these? 
Whose desires? Whose plans? The king's desires. The king's plans. The worshipers are crying out, would you fulfill the king's desires? Would you fulfill the king's plans? You know, there's this Disney movie back in the day, uh, Pinocchio. I can't raise the old animated movie, Pinocchio. Some of you, many of you adults probably saw it. Some of you kids might have seen it. And there's this one part where Jiminy Cricket sings this song. And little Jiminy Cricket gets up. And you get, do kids even know who Jiminy Cricket is? Raise your hand if you know who. Can do, okay, good. Whew. I was like, this analogy is going to bomb. Anyway, so Jiminy Cricket sings this song, and the song goes like this. When, and, and Jiminy Cricket has a fantastic low voice, by the way, which is interesting for Cricket. When you wish upon a star Makes no difference who you are Anything your heart desires will come to you And that's how we want to interpret this verse. Aha! Look at it. That's what the Bible says. He will fulfill your plans. He will give you the desires of your heart. Church! When you wish upon a star... No, that would be the world's worst sermon if I preached that to you. It's the king's desires and it's the king's plans that get fulfilled. It is very good news for us, but why? Why is it such good news? Throughout Israel's history, they had 42 kings. And only six of them had desires that were God's desires. So historically speaking, when the king's desires were God's desires, God gave the king his desires. So the worshipers are praying because David is one of the kings who, even though he was a sinner like the rest of us, he made tragic mistakes just like all of us have made. He does not deserve grace any more than any of us deserve grace. Even though David was was sinful, David's heart was towards the Lord. His sinful heart was oriented towards the saving God. And he was one of the six kings that actually desired the Lord's desires. And so the worshipers are supposed to pray, Oh God, would you grant the desires of the king? Would you fulfill all of his plans? As he goes to this ungodly nation that's, you know, sacrificing their children to the god of Moloch, which I think we all agree is just utterly atrocious. And they're saying, would you grant the king's desire? Would you deliver him? And that's the context. But the reason why it matters to us is because Jesus is the true king. Jesus is the ultimate king. Jesus desired what God desired. And listen, when King David went to battle, it was so that the people would be turned to God and the people would be delivered into peace. King Jesus went to the cross so that he could deliver you to God, to deliver you out of all of your trouble and into peace. Not that all of the physical troubles of your life vanish on Monday morning, but that you, despite all of the physical challenges and trouble, the day, the season, the age of trouble that you're in, would have peace, would be delivered through it because of Jesus, because of his goodness. That's why verse 6 goes on to say, saving of his mighty right hand, right? The obvious thing would be that David would trust in his own hand, but it's talking about God's saving hand. And the good, the good news of that saving right hand of God being Jesus. And so when you get to verse 7, it says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses. Which, of course, reminds us that David's going to battle. Reminds us he can't avoid the battle any more than you and I can avoid battles. Many of you have been in battles of your health. There's no way to avoid a battle, a day of trouble in your health. How are you going to avoid that? We live in a world that would love to say, oh, no, you can avoid it. Here's what you do. You're never, you can find somebody in five seconds who will be like, oh, you're sick? Here's what you should do. 
Can I tell you something? In 2011, Steve Jobs died of pancreatic cancer. And at the time he died, he had 10, I'm sorry, 11 billion dollar net worth. So if there was anyone on planet Earth who had the resources available to deliver themselves from a day of trouble, it would be a guy with 11 billion dollars. Some of you haven't had health. The day of trouble hasn't been health. It's been family and relationships. It's been the economy. It's been your business. It's been the difficulty of keeping employment because your industry has been shifting and changing. The day of trouble has been something that's been out of your control. You see, the good news of the gospel for the children of God in the day of trouble is we are delivered not by the strength of our own arm, but by the saving arm of God. Which is that we can rest reassured knowing that as God's children, he carries us through these times. So kids, those of you kids who are in the service here this morning, you know when you watch um, Star Wars and there's, and there's, a, there's a shield around the spaceship or if you watch some sort of animated cartoon and they're like, shields up! And they put the shields up or you're watching you know, the Marvel movie and they're attacking uh, Wakanda and the Wakandans put the shield, shields up, shields up! Faith in Jesus Christ is not a shields up where all of a sudden all these problems just keep bouncing off you and you're like, I'm a child of God and everything is fine. The good news of the gospel is that even while chariots and horses are falling, what does this text say you are doing? What does the scripture say the children of God are doing? While the chariots and the horses are falling, the children of God are actually rising and standing. I'm going to get to that in a minute and unpack that good news in a minute. As Westerners, we are obsessed with lives of comfort. So when the day of trouble comes... We don't only contend with the pain that the day of trouble brings, but we contend with the stinging reality of vulnerability that we feel when the trouble comes. And so in the day of trouble, we're quick to medicate ourselves. We're quick to distract ourselves. We're quick to rely on ourselves. And we're very slow to turn to God because what we realize in the day of trouble, sadly, is we don't actually want a God who will strengthen us in our trouble as much as we want a cosmic butler who comes when we clap our hands to deliver us from our trouble. And this is our challenge. So often we get angry at God under the delusion that because we worship him, he's in our debt and we don't deserve the trouble and somebody else should have the trouble who's not quite as good of a person as we are. It's the kinds of ideas that we get that are unbiblical and crazy. You kind of get this idea like if God knew what was good for him, you know, he would clean, he'd clean up this trouble. Otherwise, we might not go back to church. That's it. God, if you don't deliver me out of this trouble, I am, I am just done. I am done with church. I'm done with you. I'm not, we're not reading the Bible and praying as a family. We're, I'm not making worship a priority for my family. I'm done. You haven't been good. That'll teach him. All right. Okay. See, here's the dilemma. C.S. Lewis once said this in, in a book that he called The Abolition of Man. He said... A man can't put out the brightness of God by stopping to worship him any more than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the wall of his cell. Our worship to God has nothing to do with uh, fulfilling God. He's not an insecure deity. We need to worship him in our day of trouble so that our hearts can find rest. We want to train our children because every single one of our kids, and as parents we know this, we wish that they would have no trouble. Every time your kid gets sick, what do you say? I wish it was me. Of course we do. That's the heart of parents. We're like... 
let the kid be healthy, let me be in the bed. That's, what, that's the heart of the parents. So we look at our kids and we don't want our kids um, to go through days of trouble. But the reality is, as human on planet Earth, all of your children are going to go through a day of trouble. And what you want for your children in the day of trouble is that they make a beeline to the cross. Not a beeline to a person or a substance or a Netflix binge or a thousand other little mini messiahs. They're going to be like, I'm just going through it. I just need to go to this thing to find some comfort. That's not what we want. And so, we're not, and so in our day of trouble, we want to turn to the saving arm of God, who is Christ alone. The saving arm of God. Kids, if you look down at your notes, let me encourage you with this. God is not a God of leverage who offers you immunity from trouble in exchange for your faithfulness. God is a God of grace who lifts your heads and strengthens you through trouble. Despite your undeservedness, that's much better news. Psalm 20 is calling the worshipers to consider where they locate their trust in a time of trouble. Where do we locate our trust? Where do we find our strength? Where do we turn to alleviate the anxiety in our soul? That day of trouble. In the Hebrew, the word day is yom, which could mean 24-hour period, which we wish it always meant, the 24-hour trouble flu. But it also means age or season. We all have those ages and seasons in our life where we're in trouble. And so where do we turn? And that's the, that's the provoking worship. That's the undertone of this psalm provoking us in, in that. That's why, psalm, I'm sorry, that's why verse 7 concludes by saying, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of our God. And that name, Philippians 2 teaches, is the name that is above every name, which is Jesus. And I tell you something, God's grace is easy to sing about. It's easy to tweet about. It's easy to blog about. It's easy to preach about. But it's really hard to rest in. Because there's these dark, unevangelized corners of our hearts that are prone to turning to people and things much smaller than God in the hopes that they'll offer the strength and the peace and the delivering power of God. And they simply can't. Verse 8, the psalmist says to the worshipers, we can't trust in the chariots, we can't trust in the horses, because they collapse and fall. In other words, your strength, your hope, your peace, your reprieve, it can't be tethered to something or someone that can collapse and fall. Because the moment it collapses and it falls, your hope falls, your peace falls, your reprieve falls. Your sense of security falls. Being constantly held hostage by the instability of people and circumstances is a fragile and restless way to live. But if you tether your hope to the one who never collapses, if you teach your children to tether their hope to the one who never falls, that is a secure and restful way to live. Verse 8 ends with this striking juxtaposition. The horses and the chariots, they fall. But the children of God, they rise and stand. Do you see that? That's a literary Hebrew device to keep showing opposites. It's all through Hebrew poetry. Two-thirds of the Old Testament is poetry, by the way. And it's there to create these striking juxtapositions. for us to be like, whoa, and catch our attention. So he goes, this is falling, this is standing. Right, in the tone of Brian Regan. Do you see the difference? Right, that's, what he, this, that's the intention. That's the intention of this literary device. Do you see how, 
how drastically different that is, something that's falling and something that is standing. The children of God rise and stand upright. Kids, that's what's in your notes there. The children of God rise and stand upright. Why are we rising? Why are we standing? Think about it. If your king goes to battle and his horses and his chariots fall, then your nation falls and your way of life falls. Everything falls. That's why this psalm is like, oh God, save the king. Because whatever happened to the king has happened to us. So why are we rising? Why are we standing? Not because everything turned out okay. Nothing's okay. It's a day of trouble. How long do you think the ancient wars lasted? A week? Two? I'm joking. Some of them were decades. The day of trouble. Well, how is it that if horses and chariots could fall, you can stand in a day of trouble? In the middle of it. This is the good news of the gospel. If I stood up here and preached some sort of howdy-doody message, like drink your milk, stay in school, make sure your church attendance is good, do devotions at home as a family, and everything's going to be fine, in a moment everything isn't fine, you're going to have a crisis of faith. But by the way, don't, don't, just because you got banged over the head with legalism as a child, don't swing into the ditch of lawlessness and be like, you know what, yeah, Sunday's a me day and maybe we'll crack the Bible at home if we feel like it. That is not a wise guidance or a good understanding of God's grace because that isn't going to serve your kids in the day of trouble either. We've got to put all of our chips in the goodness of Jesus. So why are we standing? Why are we rising? Not because we're so strong, our God is. Your life might be surrounded by the rubble of collapse, but your God is a God of grace. And if your trust is in Jesus Christ, then you are united to the one who specializes in resurrection. And this is the good news of the gospel for you, church, in your day of trouble. And all of you have one. You're either in the day of trouble now, you just came out of the day of trouble and you're saying praise Jesus, or the day of trouble is ahead of you. And so we unite ourselves to Christ alone by his grace and through his faith that we find rest knowing that we're in the hands of God who is able to transcend all of his trouble, strengthen us and lift our heads in our trouble. And that's why the psalm concludes in verse 9 by saying, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. If your king is delivered, then you're delivered. Because whatever happens to your king is happening to you. So what have you made king? If your career is king, if your business is king, if your spouse is king, if your children are king, if your friend is king, if the romance is king, if the idea of marriage is king, if, if, if enjoying your life of singleness is king, You've tethered yourself to something that can fall. That will fall, ultimately. Anything that, isn't, anything that is smaller than God, the process of life itself will take it away. And so we've got to tether our ultimate hope to something that can't be taken away. Because whatever happens to our king is going to happen to us. So church, the good news of the gospel is our king is Jesus Christ. What happened to our king? Because what happened to your king is going to happen to you. On the cross, your king was not saved. 
So that by grace and faith you would be saved. On the cross, your king called out to God. And he wasn't answered. So that when you call out to God, you will be answered. In the end, your king's suffering was exchanged for glory. In the end, your king's humiliation was exchanged for exaltation. In the end, your king's death was exchanged for life. That's what happened to your king, and that's what's going to happen to you. All of your suffering will come to an end. All of your day of trouble will come to an end. Your death itself will come to an end. will meet its end. May the Lord answer you in your day of trouble, you and your children. Amen.